Hey, welcome, welcome back. Welcome back to me, welcome back to you, welcome back to your friends, welcome back to, welcome back to everyone. Um, I am in London and I've been here for nearly two months and it's broad by, um, it really has. I kind of, I wonder, I wonder if something happens to time as we get older, um, if I wonder if it passes more quickly. Um, also, I haven't spoken much today. I think I've probably said like five words because I've been I've been cleaning and I've been editing an episode um, and I've been trying to do some study. Um, and now I'm sitting in a really uncomfortable position on the couch with my new microphone and um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully my voice sounds crispy. Um, maybe it doesn't and that's fine, you know. Um, I keep saying, I keep saying that, uh, that you should, you should write me an email or something, um, or like message me on Instagram. And like, I'm not joking when I say that, you know, like just fucking get in contact, like say, say, Hey, just like one of you, please right now, as you're listening to this, go on your phone and just send me a message on, on Instagram and say, Hey, just Hey, 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 or hi. And then like, the number six, high six, just so I know that you're actually listening to the podcast and you're liking it, you know, cause I need, I need, I need a sign of life. Um, I know people are listening cause I can, I can be really weird and I can check all the statistics and shit. Um, in the past, they would give you the IP address of the person who was listening. That is so fucking personal. Um, but now they don't because they probably realize that like, why, why should I need your IP address? Why, why should they give your IP address to me? Um, that's pretty yucky. I think it's pretty yucky. Maybe you like it. Maybe you want to give me your IP address. If you want to send me it in an email. Um, that's also pretty cool. If you don't know what an IP address is, um, you probably have a million viruses on your computer and you're probably doomed for the rest of your life, but that's, that's okay. Maybe you should look up what an IP address is and, um, maybe that will help. Um, so, Hey, uh, what's, what's up? Um, how am I? Um, I'm okay. I, I kind of get, I get in this strange mood after I clean. Um, yeah, I think I feel, I think the next thing to do after cleaning is for me to have a shower and I haven't showered yet. So I'm in that kind of sticky intermediate phase between kind of smelling like unclean surfaces um, and then being, I guess, having hot water on my body and whatever that does in terms of um, cleaning debris and stuff off you. But I don't know, I'm looking at my hand right now and it doesn't really look like it's covered in debris. So I'm sure it's all in my head, in my head as... um as most of my kind of concerns are, um, probably all of them actually. Um, but yeah, Hey, uh, today, today on the show, um, I interviewed my friend Grant, my dear, dear friend Grant. Um, he's now gone. Uh, I don't mean he's dead. Um, I mean, he is now, he's now in a different country. Um, he's probably in Australia. Uh, 
I think. We did the interview in London um, at my place um, and it was really nice. Uh, and because it was in a house rather than a studio, uh, it felt pretty free and we felt pretty, well, I felt pretty relaxed. Um, I think it was Grant's, yeah, after, after the interview, we had a chat about how weird podcasting is. Um, I think I make a few comments on this in every episode, but Grant said that he thinks it's strange because you, the listener, can't see our faces and you can't see our... I'm doing a lot of gesticulation and a lot of stuff with my hands and with my eyes and with my face and you can't see any of that. Um, and so I guess you have to kind of pay a lot of attention to my voice and the inflection and the intonation and all that kind of stuff to figure out what's going on and like whether I actually care about any of this stuff. Um, and what, yeah, yeah, it's, it's strange. So, but, um, I could see Grant, Grant could see me. So I guess you missed out on seeing Grant's face, but you'll get to hear Grant's voice and that's nice. Um, I hope you think it's nice. Um, you should probably send Grant a message and tell him that you don't like his voice. If, <laughs> if that's how you feel, um, probably don't do that. Um, probably don't. Um, oh, also one other thing. Uh, I am, I really, 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 really don't want to, uh, ever have any money things to do with this podcast, but, um, I spent a bunch of money on a microphone and on editing software and stuff. And it kind of took a big chunk out of my bank account. Um, so, uh, I'm going to maybe make like a PayPal thing. And like, if you want to, if you like it and you want to give me like one cent, give me a cent. Like, that's great. You can give me one cent and I'll be pretty happy. Um, but yeah, don't, don't feel like, yeah, I guess just, just have a think. If you like the show and you want to support it. Um, and yeah, you, you can, you can. Um, but you know, I get the support from, from people actually listening and people actually telling me what they think. So I suppose what's more important than um, recovering the money that I spent on on programs and on um, on recording equipment is you actually telling me that you listen. So I, I really keep banging on about this, but fucking ah, <laughs> oh, it's so hard to get it's so hard to get people to write to you. Um, and no matter how many times I say write to me. There are so few people. Uh, it's, it's yeah, mostly close friends. I don't know whether you're not comfortable writing to me or um, whether you have nothing to say, but I mean, I think it's pretty unlikely that you have nothing to say. I mean, people are, you know, you're listening. You're listening to me speak and you have opinions and stuff. So let me know, please. It's nice. Um, anyway, uh, today, <laughs> that was a lot. That was, oh my, it's already been seven and a half minutes. That's pretty crazy. Um, today I spoke with Grant. And this conversation happened about uh, two and a half months after we parted ways in terms of our travel plans. So I think Grant came, Grant flew over to Europe in maybe April or May, maybe April, late April, something like that. Um, I flew over at the end of June and we spent about six weeks together from the, uh, the start of what's the month after June, July, the start of July until no mid July until the start of September. Um, 
we went on hikes. We saw some stuff. Um, we went to Eastern Europe. Um, we didn't make it to Macedonia to see my family, but um, we went pretty close by. We went to Bosnia, Montenegro, um, Croatia, Slovenia. Um, yeah, it's a parts of it are touched by tourism, like Croatia. I feel like Croatia has. Uh, it's like the the next. I don't know, southern France or something. People are like, wow, there are beaches. But um, yeah, Montenegro and Bosnia and Herzegovina, they don't, they feel, yeah, it's, uh, I, I have a lot to say about it and I won't speak about it now, but they, it felt a lot more real. Um, I guess, yeah, wherever there are lots of tourists, it's kind of easier to, to feel as though what you're experiencing is just, you know, a kind of um, touristic facade that's put up by the businesses that kind of dominate the area. And, and yeah, um, yeah, anyway, uh, I'm going to stop talking now. And, well, I'll be talking in the interview, but I'm going to stop this introduction thing right now. So enjoy, enjoy the interview. Oh, and um, there's one last thing that I wanted to add, and that is that the music that you're about to hear is um, by me, mucking around on a guitar. So maybe it's really bad, but I'm sorry. Hi. Hi, Alex. How are you going, Grant? I'm okay. Well, I'm a bit, I'm a bit sickly, actually. Oh but. no! And it's actually um, a serious thing. Yeah. Mm. But yeah. but that's but that's okay. We power on. We power on. Um, and you've been on the road for a while now. Which how, how's that been? Um, it's been really good. I've been traveling for just over five months. And I'm back home, back in Melbourne in about a week or less. Actually, no, three days, four days. Um, and I definitely could keep traveling, put it that way. Um, and you've been on your own for a bit now. Um, yeah, the last, well, it's been various stages of traveling by myself and traveling with, with friends. Um, but yeah, I've been about a month a month out of the last month and a half by myself, which has been really good. Okay. And has it been a different experience by being alone than being with others? Yeah. It always is. Yeah. But I I love traveling by myself. Um, In fact, this trip is the most I've ever traveled with other people. Um, All of my previous trips have been mainly solo. Mm. Mm. Is there something in particular about traveling by yourself that, because it's, most people don't travel alone. Um, At least uh, most people I know don't okay. travel alone. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's completely different. I think. Um, it's it's more it's, it's harder work, I'd say. Mm. Um, but I think in almost every other regard, it's it's really beneficial. Um, at least for, at least for me. Yeah, it's mm. good stuff. Mm. Okay. Um, and. I guess before we we start properly talking, um, for someone who doesn't know you, how would you? This is 
the worst kind of question ever, mm. but like, what would you, what would you say is important to know for people to, who are listening to this conversation to be able to have an image of, of, of who I am? Yeah. Or what you are. What I am. <laughs> yeah. What a question. Uh, well, I, my name's Grant and I'm from Melbourne and I've lived pretty much my entire life in Melbourne. Um, both of my parents were born in Melbourne, but my mum's side are, were, um, grandma's still alive, um, from Poland and lived through the, um, the Holocaust, um, Jewish, and my dad's side, Jewish as well, from British convict inheritance, inheritance. Um, and I think that's a strong part of my identity, both sides of my family. And more than that, I've got two sisters, um, one older, one younger, on the sandwich. And I've got very close relationships with both of them. And I think that's a big part of who I am as well. Um, I grew up in Melbourne, I said that. And I've studied politics and languages. I've got a big interest in both of those two things and just learning anything, actually. It's a big hobby of mine. And I like to build shit. I love, love woodwork. love being outside. I love tinkering and making stuff. And travelling, obviously. We've already touched on that. And that's me, mm. in a nutshell. Mm. Mm. Um, okay, and there's... And what what do you what do you want from your life at the moment? Right, right at the moment. Yeah, I suppose right now, and maybe how is it different from maybe when you were in Melbourne and had more commitments, both to family and friends and work, um, and maybe now at the end of your travels, how how is it different to um, how you felt while you were traveling? Um, and I know that you've got a few a few months before you begin back at university next year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I, how do you think your kind of ideas about what's important will change, or are they consistent? Um, I think. Well, it's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what what I want from my life right now is yeah, was the yeah. first question. Okay, maybe you we'll asked. go with that one. Uh, I. I guess in, in the next few weeks and coming months, I want to settle back down in Melbourne after being on the road for so long, um, sort of reconnect and reestablish the relationships I've got in Melbourne. And as you mentioned, I'm starting up my studies again um, in January, starting to study medicine. So I think that's a that's the next major step for me. Um, these coming few months, I want to hang out, get settled, mm. spend some time outside of Melbourne, mm. party some, have a fun summer, mm. um, and get buckled down for my studies next year. Mm. And I think um, this probably won't be as clear for people who don't know you, but I think you're one of the most, if not the most organized and balanced person <laughs> that I've ever met. Um so when you say all of those things, to me, the image of you in Melbourne is someone who, who's going to do... Because I don't think that you really say stuff 
that you're like, I don't think you're like, ah, oh, this is what I'm going to do this summer. And then don't do it. I think you're probably the only person I've ever met who doesn't, who doesn't do that. Um, so yeah, like if you were going to tell me or, or someone, maybe actually that's kind of two different things. If you were going to give a kind of, if you were trying to give someone access to the slice of your brain that allows you to kind of do that, what would you say to people? Like, What, what would I put it down to? Yeah. How Probably can you do that? being extremely stubborn. Okay. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's a pretty, yeah. uh, underwhelming, <laughs> unsatisfying answer. Cause I'm also extremely stubborn, yeah. but mine doesn't translate into like, yeah, like I, I, I remember Grant and I traveled for, I've never traveled with someone for that long, one person for that long. Um, and yeah, Grant and I had actually attempted to do <clears throat> this, this interview once before, and we made it about 15 minutes in and it was really late and we were really cold. Um, and it was pitch black and we were recording on a phone and so everything on, on the top of a mountain in rural Bosnia. <laughs> <laughs> so nothing was um, really in favor of a reasonable podcast being produced. Mm. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I okay. I, I always do this. I kind of like make a point and then get distracted, and then go go off on a tangent and really struggle to make the link back. But I think there was going to be a point about. Um, me, <clears throat> me not being able to, oh no. Okay. While we were traveling, I remember while we were traveling, I told you, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, I told you that I wanted to learn. I was inspired by your, your, um, comfort and ability to speak other languages. And so I told you that I was going to learn like maybe four at the same time, mm-hmm. And also do a whole lot of other things. And I mean, I like the intention was there. Like it really was. Mm-hmm. And I felt it. But I think as soon as we parted ways and I wasn't around, like this language force mm-hmm. that you are, um, I kind of lost the the drive. And yeah, I, I've really struggled to kind of get it back. And like... I don't know. Maybe we're equally stubborn. Maybe you're more stubborn than me. Maybe I'm more okay. stubborn than you. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I don't like, I, I, I don't think you really do that. I think you're either, either maybe you're a lot more realistic or when you kind of say things out to the world, it's a lot more like you, you don't say things that you're kind of half surely you're going to commit to. Mm-hmm. You say things that you know you will do. Like you'll be like, Oh, I'm going to build a bar like out of like mahogany and then like two weeks Tasmanian later oak. Tasmanian <laughs> oak two weeks later there'll be a bar built mm. and it will be functional but like if I say something like that like I, I yeah I don't, I don't know mm. so how what what do you think needs to change because I guess you know me pretty well more yeah, than most I, people I don't think necessarily anything needs to change I I don't know, I enjoy being productive mm. in and productive in a broad sense of the word um, in all aspects of my life but I also understand that I need less downtime than other people and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing mm. yeah I think I think you need more downtime than I do mm. more time by yourself recharging which mm. is fine it's, mm. you know I don't think there's 
any issue at all with that. Hmm. But you've also said that um, you you have a tendency to kind of overwork yourself sometimes. Yeah, yeah, that's also true. Right. Yeah. And how does that, like, is that out of stubbornness or um, is it just that you like getting just, stuff done? I just like to do all the things. Yeah, yeah. I right. wish I had more time to do all the things. Really? Things are great, yeah. Yeah, see, I think one key difference between... Um, Maybe between you and I is that I think for you, it seems like time is uh, like pretty precious. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I've got a kind of a very casual relationship with time, mm-hmm. like an open relationship. Just, just hang out together. Yeah, just <laughs> hang out. Um, yeah, because like, like I think yesterday was a perfect example of how how unhealthy my relationship is with time. So... I told you that I was going to spend the weekend studying and I didn't maybe like 15 minutes or something on Saturday. And yesterday at about 4 PM, I really felt like the, the weight of, or the pressure of all the things that I needed to do. Mm-hmm. And naturally I went to bed for like three hours and went to bed with time. Yeah. I went to bed <laughs> with time. My, my partner. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, I, but you, I don't think you would have done that. Um, I was in bed at like 6.30 last night. But that was for a different reason, right? Um, well, that I was up until four the night before. Yeah, see, <laughs> see, I'd slept the full like 14 hours or something. Mm. Um, but it's not exactly that I was doing something productive the night before. Okay. Yeah. Mm. But you It was fun though. Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay. Oh. Um, all right, where where do you think would be the next place to go in this conversation? Um, maybe we should tell the story about how we know each other. Oh, yeah. yeah. Who, who tells? I reckon you tell. Me tell? Yeah. Okay. Um, all right, so I didn't know Grant. Uh, I've probably known you for about a year now. It's what, October? Yeah, Over probably. a year, I think. Yeah, mate, around about a year, I assume. Yeah. yeah. Um, and... In maybe March or April of last year, so 2018, I was, um, I had just started studying a Bachelor of Arts and Grant also studies the same thing. Um, But at that time, in the first semester, he was on exchange in China um, studying Mandarin. And I didn't know that because I didn't know Grant. Um, And this, this man... Uh, accosted me in the hallway of the library um, and was smiling and, you know, he was like, Hey man, what, what's going on? It's been so long. Um, I like, uh, yeah, it's, it's really nice to see you. Uh, we should, we should get a coffee or something sometime. And then he kind of ran off into the distance and I didn't really get to say much. I'd just been told all of these really nice things about me. Um, and I was like, shit, like maybe, maybe I'll play along with this. But also, may, like, I don't know. I wasn't. I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure whether he was just trying to make a friend with me by pretending that he knew me. Actually, that's probably pretty unlikely. I, mm. Well, I, actually, it, it isn't the truth because, <laughs> as you'll see, when, as the story unfolds. Anyway, this kind of continued for a good four or five months. Like, I, I'd see this guy weekly. He would speak to me, tell me how nice it was to see me. We hung out a few times, like he bought me a coffee. We went to the gym. I met some of his friends. Um, it was really nice. I, someone was really 
passionate about about me making friends with you. about making friends yeah. with me and like this shared history that he would keep referring to that I knew didn't exist but <laughs> I just I just let it keep going um and then I hadn't seen him for a while and eventually this this person um I was having a tea outside outside the library with a friend and this person came up to me and said something along the lines of um hey I know your name you don't know mine um but that guy that kept that guy who I knew was called Sam and I think he later found out that my no a few months before Grant had returned from China he he found out that my name was Alex but he never told me that he thought that I was someone else anyway this you, you realized something was up yeah I, I knew I think pretty pretty much straight away mm-hmm. I knew oh as in something was up with him or something was up with your relationship yeah yeah, yeah. I think I became I became suspicious <laughs> but I'm not sure how or when, but I think like, but you're just too nice to, or was, was it too awkward maybe to, no, no, I don't think so. Yeah. I don't think so. Um, but I realized that I realized something was suspicious when after like three months of me being like, Hey Sam and him just being like, Hey man. And then one day he was like, Hey, what's your name again? Uh, yeah. And then was I was the like, point. yeah, that was it. That's it. Anyway, back to the, back to the point where I was having tea outside the library. This guy came up to me and he's like, Hey, that guy who, kept approaching you and telling you how nice it was to see you he thought you were someone else um and then it all kind of clicked mm. and he didn't so, really say so that was that was my friend lewis yeah yeah who was trying to make sense of this whole situation yeah um when i got back from china i was in china for about five or six months and i got back from china and heard the tale of fake grant mm. and it was ridiculous like somebody couldn't have invented it <laughs> And after I heard the tale of Fake Grant, nobody really knew who Fake Grant was except for this guy, Sam. And I hadn't seen Sam. I was just speaking to my friend Lewis and my friend Daniela, who was also involved in this <laughs> circle of lies. <laughs> and in, in our second semester at university, I spent, every time I'd walk into the library, I would look for this enigmatic Fake Grant. Where is he? Who is he? What does he look like? Is he actually my doppelganger? And I, I settled on you. I think I told you this. I, cho- yeah, I chose yeah. you after I made a short list in my head. And then I decided it was you. And then after my friend Lewis approached you, I came up to you a couple of weeks later um, with a similar introduction saying, hey, you don't know me. I don't know you, but uh, you're me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. And... Uh, there's something really special about this story because it's probably the only story that I've told more than like 15 times that I don't kind of cringe deeply inside telling it again. And maybe you do, but I really like, yeah, I, I love, I really love this story. It's a good story. It, it is. And I think it's because something really nice has come out of it. And that's the friendship that, mm. that I have with you, um, that we have together. So yeah, I'm, I think it's like, yeah, probably one of the luckiest meetings. I think the luckiest in, for me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I can't. C- certainly the best story. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And also the, what's amazing is the, the kind of um, shared interests mm-hmm. that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, well, at that stage when we met last year, we were studying similar things and had a similar 
idea of where we wanted to take our next few years. Yeah, yeah, it was. And we were both working at Melbourne University. Yeah, yeah. We were both living within a kilometre of each other. Yeah. And we both look the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I look a bit more, a bit different now. Although I've kind of trimmed my beard a bit. Mm. Um, Get the moustache going again. Yeah, yeah. Grant has a, like the, the, um, the symbolic Grant <laughs> image in anyone's head is a, a man with silver rimmed glasses and a, a moustache. Very, very trim. Uh, a very neat moustache. Um, I had I had something along those lines, but it wasn't as neat. Um, yeah, so that's that's the story of how Grant and I became friends. Mm. And yeah, then it's been kind of a a really nice and probably the most mature and um, emotionally uh, um, probably on on my part the most emotionally organized and that that sounds kind of like um pathological but it i think the presence your presence in my life has hasn't really brought out any neuroticism which is kind of my go-to thing when things aren't going so well so yeah thank you for Mm. thank you for being seriously thank you for being there for the past year i think it's been a really formative mm-hmm. relationship that I've had. Yeah, for me too. I mean, we, from my side of things, I was just finishing up my first degree at university when we became friends. And this year in many ways has been very formative for my own development. Um, and I, I don't meet many males, many Australian males, or actually any male, many males in general who are as thoughtful and in touch with their emotions and gentle as you are. I think, I think it's quite rare. Well, and I, at least maybe I just haven't been lucky to come across people who really care and are not afraid to communicate that care. Hmm. And I think that's one of the things I really respect about you a lot. Well, yeah. Well, thank you. That's yeah, that, that means a lot to me. Um, and yeah, I, I think that, um, obviously the same the same goes for you um that that's very much how i feel about you as well um and yeah without turning this into a love story um but also at the same time without discounting the the uh as validity of what we both just said um i think an, a really important question to ask is what is it about I guess let's stick with what we both know. What is it about Australia or Australian men that kind of either stunts or doesn't encourage that the level of emotional um, transparency or engagement that both of us Mm. um, have kind of shared with one another? Mm. What do you think? I think it's a big question. Yeah, I can't pretend to know the answer to that one. Okay. But like, have you, have you ever felt that like either our approach to sport or mm. like particularly among men, mm. like, um, or the kind of, um, alcohol culture or yeah. Mm. Is there anything in particular that, that you've noticed or um, I, I don't know the answer mm. to this really. Um, 
put, put it this way, to answer the question from a different point of view, I definitely think that my relationship, having, having two sisters to begin with mm. and having two sisters who, first of all, care a lot about me and my emotional well-being, but also like are very strong young women who, I guess, hold me accountable and, and really won't let me get away with with things that they find important or on the other side of things find to be misbehaving, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. So I, I'm interested in, in your, like, where do you think that your, this side of your personality has come from? Do you think maybe it's an intrinsic thing or have there been people or environments in your life that have built it in you? Um, I guess, I well, I think the most formative figure in my life has been my mom. Mm. Um, she raised me single-handedly. Uh, I, I'm an only child. So unfortunately, I, I think it really is unfortunate that I didn't have siblings around because, um, yeah, it, I, I missed out on having kind of like a shared upbringing experience with someone, um, who could, who would have, if yeah, in a, in an ideal world, served a similar, uh, held a similar space to the space that your sisters have held in your mm. life, some kind of like, I don't know, emotional mediating mm. or emotional, um, emotionally insightful presence or something. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I think even though my mum is quite different to most of the people that, um, like she's quite different to you, for example, in the sense that my mum struggles to speak about um, emotional things. I think it's probably a result of childhood trauma or something like that, or I kind of being discouraged from being an emotive person. I think now it's very difficult for her to speak about these things. Um, so I think that it's curious that I've kind of spent so much time trying to navigate what I feel, but it might just be a response to, to that, to mm. having this kind of figure. More reactionary. Yeah. Yeah. Having, having this figure who wasn't particularly emotionally in, uh, insightful, um, but then having people like you and, uh, and yeah, other, other close friends and being around other families where there is, more of a discussion of, you know, what, what one feels and, um, how to kind of navigate feelings that are good and bad. Um, and I think that, I think that, cause yeah, part of it might be intrinsic. Like I think that I've, because I've struggled with, um, mental health problems for a long time and, um, have been to therapy. Um, I've been, pushed by therapists to engage with those emotions. Mm -hmm. And I think noticing healthy patterns of engagement in others has kind of pulled me towards that kind of thinking. So mm -hmm. at least in recent years, when I've, when I've kind of noticed changes in the way that I think about things, I think that's why. Um, that's interesting. Yeah. But otherwise I, I, I imagine it would only be as it would be for both of us speculation as to why that we, we are the way we are. Yeah. Why we yeah. are the way we are. Um, but I guess that's a question that people have been asking for 
thousands yeah, if not yeah. longer of years. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, one thing that seems to be very important in um, both of our lives and in everyone's life really is the idea of a relationship um, either with a family member or a friend or a partner. Um, and I guess we've spoken about friendship and family so far. So the mm-hmm. natural thing to do is to move on to, um, yeah, I guess more the romantic side of things. Um, so how have you, have you found that the things that you've learned from partners have been different from what you've learned from friends and family? Or the way, the way you turn to a partner, the way, the things that you ask a partner, do you find yourself asking partners different kinds of things or things that you will not ask friends and family Mm. or is there not, is it not so clearly defined? Um, certainly for me, there's a much bigger distinction between the sort of things that I would discuss and reveal and engage with more of a distinction between family and the other two categories, and I would say between romantic relationships and friendships. Um, but even between romantic relationships and friendships, I think there are things that are different, obviously. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I think, and we, we've spoken about this a little bit before, that distinction between a romantic interest and friendship relationships. For me, at least, in the last year or two, I'm starting to realise that in a lot of my close friendships, there are sort of romantic elements in a way. Not not necessarily sexual elements, but I think that a distinction between a romantic interest and a friendship, a very close friendship is less defined than I was told or I initially thought growing up. Mm. Mm. Yeah. um, Okay. And because you're single at the moment, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel like there's, um, yeah. Do you, are you, do you miss something or do you feel like there's a kind of presence that, yeah, like, I guess a really stupid question to ask, but something that seems to be um, a question that many people ask themselves or say that uh, say that they are is, um, like, do you think that you're a person who has a preference of being with a partner or in, in a partnership or relationship mm-hmm. of that kind or being single? Um, um. I think that, from my experience, most people prefer to be, or like, uh, ideally would want to be with that one person or those multiple people that they can share a deeper romantic connection with. Mm. Yeah, and certainly, certainly with me, that's the case. Okay. I don't think I fall into those sort of relationships very easily. Mm. Um, but the, I mean, there's there's one woman, in, young woman in particular, who I was we were together for um, a year and a half or something and we had um, for me a really or for both of us a really special relationship and we're still 
very close friends today. And mm. I think what we were discussing, this I guess isn't isn't in direct answer to your question, but what I was saying before about the distinction between a romantic relationship and a very close friendship, I think this relationship with my close friend Rosa um, was one of those that has taught me a lot about navigating the differences between romance and, and close friendships. Right. Mm, I, okay. f- I forgot your, your question. Oh, well, same. <laughs> I, I think I've lost yeah. it as well. But I think it was something along the lines of... Um, uh, would I like to be yeah. in, in that sort of... Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. Th- it was in in with the kind of over overbearing shadow of is there something that you can get from a, le- a relationship that you can't... Something that you can get from an intimate sexual relationship or a partnership or what do you even call that? Who knows? Love? Love? (laughs) No. It doesn't exist. Um, Is there something you can get from that sticky yucky stuff that you can't get from... um, (laughs) That's one way to put it. (laughs) That you can't get from like a platonic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Platonic. Platonic. Not, is there something you can get from non-platonic love that you can't get from platonic love? Um, like, do you think I'm, that, that... I'm not sure. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. I'll let you know if, okay. I, if I work that out ever. Okay. Um, I, think, I think there's maybe something in physical and sexual intimacy that you can't... Maybe there's something about really close physical intimacy that you can't get through platonic relationships. Mm. And maybe there are other things as well. Mm. Yeah. Um, but I think, I don't know, I think that more and more I'm realising that my relationships, my my platonic friendships are don't fit into categories that I was encouraged to adopt mm. growing up. I think that I've really gained a lot about, really gained a lot through being friends with some of my closer friends mm. that I never expected to get in terms of support and emotional relationships. And that obviously yields enjoyment and just good times. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, like the, these, these things are important and formative, these kinds of relationships. The platonic or non-platonic? Non, or well, both. Having yeah, having both of them. Um, yeah, in in your ideal world, would 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 it be something that yeah you would encourage having being able to mm. live in a world with these two things? Like if you if you had a kid, for example, <laughs> and I know we're both pretty young, and I don't think either of us plan to have kids any at any point anytime soon, um, but. Um, yeah, would you like, do you think that, do you think you'd be a very different person if, oh yeah, this is again, those kind of questions are really hard to, to answer, but yeah. Oh, maybe this is kind of interesting. Do you think that one is more important than the other? (laughs) What a question. I think, I think it's a very personal question. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. They're they're both certainly very important to me. Mm. To the extent that 
I couldn't imagine my life without mm. either. Mm. Um, but people, everyone's different. Mm. And it's especially in regards to relationships, I think people interact with others and form relationships very, very differently. Yeah, right. So as a general statement, I don't know if I can say anything definitive. Okay. Um, uh, as someone who, who I feel like I, I have spent enough time with you to see or to get some insight to how you make your decisions. Um, and I feel like a lot of the time it's based on a pretty cohesive and well thought out and understood moral and ethical framework. Um, can you, can you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, I've, I don't know if I would say that about myself, but okay. I, I've, I've had my young sister said that to me a couple of times that the way that we make decisions is, is very different. Not that one's better than another, mm. but that she really sees in a lot of decisions, some quite stringent ethical principles. I don't know if that ever comes to the fore of my thinking when I make decisions or actually maybe that, maybe that's not true. I don't know. It's something I've been thinking about a lot this year and, and writing about as well, the sort of inputs that go into our decision-making processes and the sort of inputs that were encouraged to adopt by the social context in which we are built and which were constructed as, as young people. Yeah, it's something I've been th thinking about quite a lot um, in terms of my future decisions and the sort of decisions I see my peers and friends and sisters making around me. Hmm. Um, and what, what are those, what are these things inside that um, influence your... Um, yeah, the way you see other people's decisions, like what, what kind of metric, if you were to kind of set up a structure, a moral structure, what would it look like? Or what is it that, like, could you give an example of something, uh, someone else's mm -hmm. decision that you've kind of thought about in a particular way because of certain things that you believe in? Uh, I think that... I think that maybe from the upbringing that I've had and the social context that I've spent time in as a young adult, I don't think, I don't believe that ethical decisions have enough bearing on significant life decisions that people make. Right. Um, and for me, I've got generally high expectations of myself. And, and also, I guess, expectations of, of the people that I love and care about. And I would like to see more people making big decisions with ethical inputs maybe mm. or in general terms maybe less selfless inputs I think that obviously both of us and many people that we surround ourselves by are very very fortunate and I think that that with that comes responsibility mm. um Okay, and 
for you, what do these things look like? Like, what do you, for example, today or in the past few days, is there any, well, I know one thing that you do that um, I know is uh, driven by a kind of moral or ethical, um, is driven by moral or ethical consideration, and that's your diet. Mm -hmm. Um, You don't eat meat. Mm. Um, I think you have fish occasionally, but infrequently. Um, And yeah, like I, I don't think I am. Yeah. I, I have kind of had meat occasionally over the past two years. Um, but it's been pretty infrequent. Um, and yeah, talk to me, talk to me about that. Like what, because that, that's something that I, I've also done a lot of thinking about, like trying to translate logical, rational thinking into logical and rational behavior. And I think that's a very difficult thing to do. Like in principle, I think a lot of people fundamentally agree with the ethics behind veganism, for example, which is like a pretty damn strict ethical code that is quite serious and really sophisticated and is deeply critical of most people's lifestyle. But I think like, for example, one of my housemates, Ralph, um, and if Ralph's listening, if he ever listens to this, I apologize for shaming you, for publicly shaming you. But um, I'm sure he won't mind because he is a um, a very honest person. But he has said to me that he agrees with the yeah. He he doesn't doubt the questions of um, he doesn't doubt the impact that eating meat has on the environment, um, and he doesn't doubt that uh, at least he doesn't think that there's any justification for killing animals, um, in terms of being able to, you know, satisfy your dietary requirements or something. You can, it appears that you can get all of those things from a, a plant-based diet, but he, cho- he still chooses to eat meat. Um, and he does it because he likes it. And I feel like that is, that is where the tension between logical thought and logical behavior is very visible. Um, so in terms of a question, um, how do you how do you kind of overcome that tension and allow yeah allow the kind of logical thinking that you've had to and a lot of people hate that word logic um, I feel I'm skeptical about it as well but for the purposes of this discussion let's take it to mean like uh, a thought out moral. A commitment, a thought out, yeah, a, a commitment that you've already made based on um, inputs and outputs. So, yeah, what is it? What is it about your thinking that allows you to 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 allow logical thinking to become logical behavior? Um, I think on the discussion of vegan and vegetarian diets. Unfortunately, in the circles that I travel in, is they're becoming very common mm. and um, widely adopted, which is good for me to see. For me, it, not not to sound as though I'm hmm, I th- I think that there is always some degree of sacrifice involved. Um, I like meat and I haven't eaten meat for five to six years 
and that's something that I can do really easily. Um, and one, one of the people who are, whose work I've been following is a, actually gave you a book about a man called Paul Farmer, who is a very, very impressive human being. He's a doctor and an anthropologist and somebody who has dedicated pretty much every aspect of his life to improving the world and helping others. Mm. Someone who people should probably not try and match in terms of good good outcomes on the world, but somebody who definitely should be a role model and is, is certainly a role model for myself. He says that in one of his books, he says that a group that he refers to as white liberals, which aren't necessarily people who are white, but he refers to it as a certain group of society and being upper middle class, well-educated, very fortunate in the scheme of things. He says that one of the fundamental problems that he sees in this group he refers to as white liberals is that they think that they can change the world without making any sacrifice. And I think that that is, that really rings true to me. And among many other things is, is one of the things that he said that I have thought about and written about and am trying to adopt into my life. And yeah, I I think it's interesting because in discussions with my older sister, who I respect a lot in many regards, but especially in the sort of big life decisions that she's made and the being motivated by wanting to have a good impact on the world. In discussions with her, she's sort of problematized the idea of sacrifice in that her, what she believes to be right for her is, and this is my interpretation, quite closely overlaps with what's good for the world which is an interesting discussion in terms of in terms of sacrifice you know if if we are bringing up younger generations with strong moral responsibilities and 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 strong care in general terms and these are principles that are inco- incorporated and internalized and performed in society then is that are these young people making sacrifices for their life if they're fortunate enough to have the upbringing that we've had Hmm. Hmm. what do you think i i think i think another related discussion is the discussion of altruism whether there is ever such thing as pure altruism or whether it's all for selfish motivations, for selfish incentives. And it's a relevant discussion, and I think it's an important discussion. Um, And I think that it also doesn't matter that much, because if the outcome... I'm, I'm quite a practical person, I mentioned it before, and if we're looking at outcomes which are the most important thing, not not everything, but the most important thing for me, I'm I'm not fussed what motivates somebody to do good. Mm-hmm. 
as long as they're they're doing good. And mm. I, I think that it would be good to have younger generations and, and people and people with whom we interact, our age group as well, who still have the majority of their adult life ahead of them, some really big decisions to make and in many regards a lot of potential and capabilities to do good for the world. I'd like to see more of my more of myself and more of the people around me committing to decisions upon which morals and good consequences for the world have more bearing. Hmm. And when you say good con- consequences for the world, you obviously have to have a particular image of a world in sight. Um, of course. And I'm not, I'm not trying to oversimplify the question of what's good. Mm. Many, many, many people have dedicated their entire lives to answering the question mm-hmm. of what's good. And I don't pretend to know anything close to the answer for that. But at the same time, I think that there... I think that often that discussion can be used as an obstacle for practical action. Mm. I think that there are... Yeah, I'm, I'm not a moral relativist. I think that there are things that are good and... Fundam- intrinsically good. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not, intrinsically in terms of the value brought upon by the action or... Is that, is that the question? Yeah, like, mm. um, no, intrinsic in... Yeah, actually, yeah, I think mm. that's a, 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 a nice way of putting it. Mm. Yeah, intrinsic in its consequence, maybe. Mm. Yeah, I think... I think there are good things and less good things. Okay. And I don't think there are... I think it, there these are always difficult discussions to have, but I don't like to see these discussions being put in the way of good actions. Mm. You know, I think that saving somebody's life is a good thing. And I think I will disagree with you if you say uh, under normal circumstances, when there's no other counterfactual being chucked in there mm. in, in some thought experiment devised by a, some famous philosopher, I think that saving somebody's life or reducing somebody's pain or giving somebody similar opportunities that I feel so fortunate to have been given. Mm. I think these are good things and I don't like to see abstract and erudite discussions being used as defences of inaction. Yeah, right, right. I think I, yeah, I think I feel the same. Um, And I think those three things are, yeah, I'd be interested. Um, here I'll invite listeners who are very reluctant to reach out at any time, but here's a nice, easy question for you to answer. How do you feel about the three things that Grant listed? So it was reducing pain, saving a life, and affording... Is that is it kind of like a, a universal equity? Uh, sorry, equality. Um equality of opportunity thing that you're yeah i think i i don't believe that my life is in all regards 
better mm. in terms of the opportunities I've been given than, mm. than somebody else. But I think that there are some, if we look at human rights as a concept, I think that that's a pretty good starting point in terms of looking at opportunities that n- not everyone in this world are afforded and using that as a starting point to say, let's try and work with that. Mm. If that answers your question. Yeah, no, it does. It does. Um, but yeah, also as I touched on just briefly, I, I want to clarify that I don't think that my life should be used as a standard obviously i think that's a very problematic thought path to have Mm. but i think that there are some fundamental things that my my grandmother for example growing up um, as a young child and teenager uh, through the holocaust that she didn't have access to and that i've been very fortunate to never have to worry about Mm. like simple financial security an education, food when I need it, shelter, political and civil freedoms, good access to healthcare. Mm. I think that these are that's a good that's a good starting point. Mm. Okay, um, this is a very very another impossible question, but where should we start? Is it with things like? a human rights charter or um, uh, universally free education. But yeah, where, where? On a personal level? Yeah, maybe on a personal level, yeah. Maybe that's, yeah. I think that everybody has, obviously, different interests and different capabilities and different amounts of energy they want to dedicate to mm. such things. But... As a, as a general statement, I would like to see these considerations weighing in more heavily on decisions that myself and the people around me make. And I think that's a very general and open-ended statement. I think that allows people many freedoms to pursue whatever that means. Mm. But I think that people should pursue it more than they do. I I think that in a place like Australia where at least, you know, I I can speak about my upbringing and my immediate social environment. I felt like I've been encouraged to separate myself from people who are less fortunate than myself and, and focus more on doing good for me. I'm not saying that people should disregard their own well-being. I think that that's a ridiculous thing to take out of what I've just said. But I would like to see people, as well as focusing on themselves, having a bit of a a wider perspective and acknowledging that people who say that you can't make a difference, and this is this is obscenely cliche and it shouldn't be, but people who say that you can't make a difference. That's bullshit. Especially especially people like you and me. And we've had this discussion before, these sort of talks. I think that people need to 
focus more on others and on making the world a better place because, yeah, I really object to the statement that you're not going to make a difference. So why even why even try? Hmm. I really object to that. Hmm. And would you do you think that um, there is an obligation on people like you and I who who do have the privilege and opportunity to uh, who have the backing, both financial and um, in terms of food and water and access to shelter? Do you think there is more of an obligation on people like us? to begin the movement towards a better world. Um, yeah, I think so. Okay. I, th- I think so. I think that, I mean, I, I can't claim to be an authority on these sort of issues, but my personal opinion is that, yeah, the, the privileges that we have been so fortunate, so fortunate enough to be afforded, I think with that comes with the response, comes with the responsibility and I think maybe a better way to, a, a different way to look at that is to look from a perspective that says the sort of systems that privilege us and make us so lucky are the same systems that disadvantage and oppress many, many people hmm. in the world that we live in. And I think that, and I, I don't think that the geographical or temporal boundaries that we're encouraged to take as obstacles and we're encouraged to build barriers using those, especially geographic boundaries, to say that I'm not responsible for that person's suffering. I think that is... I object to that. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think the same the same systems that make us so fortunate are the same systems. I don't think that's a controversial statement. Hmm. No, and I, I don't think it is either. Um, and so for the listener who maybe at the moment is wondering how they can begin um, or what where they can start um, after having listened to what you've just said, um, where do you think is a convenient place to start or what do you think is a convenient action to make? I, I don't think I've got authority to, okay. to prescribe. Oh, some, no, no, yeah. no, 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 that, that, mm. that's, yeah. It may have sounded like that's what yeah. I was asking, but um, I guess like maybe, do you think there is something extremely important at the moment where people's attention should be? I mean, we have recent, the, the extinction rebellion movement, mm. um, so environment, climate is a real something that we need to pay attention Certainly. to. Do you think there is some some area of one, one single pressing issue? Mm. Or yeah, I think I think climate justice is is a very pressing issue. Okay. Mm. Um, and in terms of ways to embark on these sort of decisions and decision-making processes. I, th- I think for me personally, I think probably probably it's similar for the people in my immediate vicinity. As young adults, many of us being very fortunate enough to go to university and ha- have a quality tertiary education, um, career choices tend to be the next big decisions that we make. 
And I, I think that's... Um, moral factors should have a bigger bearing on career decisions. Um, Peter, Peter Singer, who you've, you've interviewed, <laughs> um, his um, effective altruism movement, he, call, he calls it a movement, uh, they have a figure of 80,000 hours, which is it's a big number. 80,000 is quite large. And the idea behind 80,000 hours for him is that those hours... <clears throat> Excuse me. Those eighty thousand hours is the estimated, the expected time that each one of us will spend in our career, based on some complex calculations that he's he's done, and that's a pretty big number mm. if you want to look at it in terms of time, in terms of economic output, in terms of energy, or in terms of just an individual's commitment to something. And we're also, many of us are in the privileged position to be able to choose career paths that have good outcomes on the world without having to sacrifice financial stability or very often social standing. And I think that is a very big privilege in itself and I would like to see more people in my immediate vicinity making such decisions. Hmm. Okay. Um, we are now at one hour and 10 minutes. Um, I'm conscious that you, that you need to leave the country. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, Got a flight to catch. And not because you have transgressed, but because... <laughs> I've got another podcast coming in Berlin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, you have to move elsewhere. So, um, yeah. Is there anything, um, anything that you would like to say, or um, any final concluding remarks in regards to the discussion that we've just had, or just in general? In general, because I suppose this this is the last time we'll see each other for mm. until. Which month are we? We're uh, October. Is it the twenty twenty first? Twentieth? Twenty first? Twenty first. I hope otherwise I haven't twenty first, yeah. yeah. Twenty first. <laughs> um I I probably won't see you until July of next year. Yeah. Um, that's a long time. That's a long time. We've done well the last couple of months, so we've seen each other probably probably for over a month. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well we were we did that. That Which was time? like six five, six weeks. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Um yeah, you're probably sick of me, so. <laughs> well, if you ever want to find if you ever want to find me, I'll be in Melbourne, probably chained to a desk. Okay. Yeah, in the library. Okay, and that's an open invitation for it's for anybody <laughs> for anyone who'd like to come and talk to a very bored soul. <laughs> yeah, probably. Nah, in, that's in... not true. <laughs> I won't be bored. I'll be very interested and very busy. Very busy and and um, honest and realistic with your commitments. And obligations. I hope so. It's been, it's been, it's been a real, it's been very beautiful um, mm. getting to know you. And I feel likewise. So thanks a lot. See you in Melbourne. See you later. Hey, um, I think I, yeah, I probably start every single podcast thing ever by saying, hey, um, so I should probably say something different. Um, anyway.
maybe next episode I can work on that. I hope you enjoyed the interview. Uh, Grant is a lovely person and he's a very dear friend of mine. And it's really special interviewing people who you know. Um, it gives, it makes for a very different kind of ambiance. Um, yeah, interviewing a stranger is great. And often the strangers that I'm fortunate enough to interview know a lot about things. Um, but they don't know me and I don't know them. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, the reason why I paused was because I thought that someone was uh, coming into the lounge room where I'm recording this, but apparently that's not the case. Um, anyway, there is some news that I would like to report, and that is that I will be um, recording the like a kind of mini-series thing, um, and it's going to be called On Being. Uh, and I'm aware that there's another podcast called On Being, um, and maybe you should check that out. Uh, it's really good. But yeah, I'm going to be doing kind of a, a few different episodes um, on different questions of being. So I think initially I'm going to start with like um, the philosophy of being and then otherwise I'll move on to like, um, yeah, my experiences with anxiety and with depression and um, with patience and that kind of stuff. Anyway, until next time. Thanks for listening.